The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network over at noodle.mx and is sponsored by me and my company, D. Joseph Design. You can get a website, web hosting, presentation design, all sorts of stuff that I provide as services to make you better. You have a message that deserves to look great, so make your next message look or sound great by hiring me to design stuff for you. Check out my portfolio over at djosephdesign.com and contact me through any of the normal means that I share in this show and you will be able to then find out how I can help you make your message look or sound great. Check it out at djosephdesign.com. Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 11, podcasting with software compressors versus hardware compressors. Thank you for joining me for another exciting episode of the Audacity to podcast where I teach you the tools. No, wait, I give you the guts first and then teach you the tools to podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. That's the pod of podcasting. I talked more about that in episode one, which you can get still at the audacity slash one, the number one. Thank you for joining me. I'm Daniel Lewis, also known as The Ramen Noodle. Check out my comedy podcast and the other podcasts that we make and offer over on the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Today, I want to share with you more about hardware versus software compressors and some of the advantages and disadvantages of each one and why even use one anyway and what's all this terminology mean, compression and threshold and gate and limiting and ratio and all of this stuff, attack and release and all of this. Are we talking about hostages? No, we're talking about audio compression, not MP3 file compression, audio compression. We've talked about Chris's dynamic compressor before in episode five, which you can get at the audacity to podcast.com slash five. But there are other compressors out there more advanced and more simple out there and also different programs out there. Before I get into all of that though and answering a question that we received through email, I want to tell you about my sponsor, GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting has an awesome new service and it's free. That is an iPad app. So people can join a meeting, not only on their computers, whether they have a Windows or Macintosh computer, but they can also join an online meeting from their iPad. And especially if you have an iPad with 3G or you know people who have iPads with 3G or just Wi-Fi access, they can access your meeting from anywhere. And it's a lot more convenient to do it on the iPad. This application is free. You just install it and you can be in a meeting on the go from wherever you are going, even if you're at GoAsis. Just download the GoToMeeting app and join the session. For you as a presenter, it gives you the opportunity to present to people where it's comfortable for them to watch. My listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. For the special offer, visit gotomeeting.com slash techpodcasts. That's gotomeeting.com slash techpodcasts. Thank you, Citrix, for your support. All right. In episode five, I talked about Chris's dynamic compressor and talked to you about what it means to compress your audio. Let me review that and also correct some things I might have said wrong within that episode. Compression as a whole is reducing the dynamic range of your audio. It's compressing it within a certain range. And it often means reducing the amplification of your audio or the gain of your audio, the amplification. We'll call it that. That's accurate. And that is that it's reducing the volume. It's not always increasing the volume. Usually, audio compression means it's decreasing the volume from the top side. Sometimes it can mean increasing it from the bottom up as well. But let's get into some of the specifics so you can better understand how this works. Like I've said before, imagine 
your audio is in the loud range and the really quiet range, compression would bring those differences together, reducing the amount of contrast between your loud sections and your quiet sections. It's reducing the dynamic range. Do not over-compress your audio because if you do, then you have no dynamic range. See, people talk in varying levels of audio. Sometimes they might talk a little bit softer like I'm talking right now to convey a more connected, personal approach. Sometimes they might just be really excited and they raise their voice and sometimes they might shout too. So all of this are, is the dynamic range of your audio. You don't want to compress it too much because compressing it too much and you'll get essentially flat line audio. It might sound great because everything is all the same audio volume. That is, it might sound great to you, but it reduces the dynamic level. Imagine listening to a monotone speaker. Is that exciting? No. No matter where they are on the same line, sometimes I've been accused of being monotone, an enthusiastic monotone speaker, and that is that I can get enthusiastic when I speak in front of an audience, but sometimes I maintain that same high energy level of speaking. And I might be doing that now within the podcast as well, but I'm trying to vary myself as well. So you don't want to compress things too much. Now there's expansion. Just like it sounds, that's the opposite of compression. Expansion expands the range of your volume. Usually it's in the lower range of volume. So that quieter spot of audio, it expands it. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean it's making it louder? No, that means the contrast between the super, super quiet and the quiet sections becomes greater. So that means that your super, super quiet sections get even quieter and your just quiet sections might get a little bit louder, but might not. Expansion is mainly expanding out from the bottom. Similar to expansion is a gate. A gate, like it sounds, can either be open or closed. The gate will sometimes take the place of expansion or the expander, and that is that it will open the gate when the volume is above a certain level, and it will close the gate if the volume is below a certain level. It doesn't remove noise, but it can silence noise when nothing else is happening. So the only noise, the only sound it's picking up is a noise that is quieter than a certain level, and therefore it closes the gate. I will illustrate to you what it's like to have the gate open and closed. Right now I have the gate fully open, so when I stop speaking, you can hear some noise in the background, very faint. Now I have the gate set at a normal level, and this is where I normally have it, that when I speak, the gate opens because I'm talking above that floor where it's deciding anything above this floor gets let open, the gate opens, and everything gets let in. But if there's nothing above the floor, then close the gate. Now if I raise the gate too high, what will happen is it starts cutting off the ends of my words and ends of my syllables because as we speak, we tend to be louder at the beginning or the middle and then fade off at the end, especially syllables or sounds such as S's tend to fade out. They don't just stop. They fade out a little bit. So if the gate is turned up too high, it will start cutting off the ends of syllables. I'll illustrate that for you now. And you probably won't understand what I'm saying as I increase this gate a little bit louder and a little bit louder, but I want you to hear how it's affecting what I'm saying as I am speaking. As I turn it up even more and more, the gate is closing more often and you, you can't even hear me anymore. Now what happened is I turned the gate up so high that you couldn't even hear me anymore as I was speaking because I was no longer talking above that range where it would open the gate because the floor was so high that it wouldn't let me in. Now there is the threshold. The threshold can be misunderstood. It's a negative value because audio often works in negative values, minus 6, minus 3, minus 12, minus 20. Zero is considered peaking out. That's the maximum usually that can take. 
in, within general scales of audio. So the compression is at what point will it start compressing the audio down? That is reducing the audio from the top down, reducing that volume. So the compression is not at what point will it start increasing the volume. Usually the knob will not, or the setting will not be that, but it's the setting for at what point will it start decreasing the volume that exceeds that level. So on my particular hardware compressor, and I'll talk about the difference between hardware and software compressors in a little bit, my particular hardware compressor, I have it set to about minus 20 or so. Anything above minus 20 on this is being reduced in volume slightly. Well, how slightly? That's where the ratio comes in. The ratio is what number is replaced with what number to what ratio. So for example, a two one ratio will take any sound that is above my minus 20 and it will compress it by a ratio of two. So that means that if I exceed that threshold by six decibels, compressing with the ratio knob will drop it down to three decibels. If I have my compression ratio set to 4-1, which is a good setting for voice, 2-1 is good for music, 4-1 is better for voice, but it's really how it sounds to you. If I have it set at 4-1 and I exceed that threshold by 12 decibels, it drops that down to 3 decibels. That's the ratio, 4 to 1. If I exceed the level by 4, it drops it to 1. So you don't want it to decrease your levels extremely powerfully so that you get to the point where your audio is fitting all within just a single decibel range. That's too much. Now, the another option that we read on compressors, limiters, and gates and such, hardware and sometimes software, is the limiter. The limiter is a hard wall to prevent the audio from exceeding that level. So maybe I have my limiter set at plus six. Now, keep in mind, this is just audio that's going into my mixer before its levels are set for recording. So we'll say that I have my limiter set at plus six. Any volume above plus six will be cut to plus six instead of allowing volume that is too loud to continue on through my recording and overload my equipment. So the limiter is a hard peak limiter, a hard limit, so that it will not let the audio get any louder than that. Of course, you don't want to set that so strong that everything you say is being limited because that can distort your sound too much. But a little limiting is not bad. You don't want your limiter always going off. You want the compressor going off or using itself quite often and reducing some of the volume, but you don't want it reducing it much. No more than minus six to minus eight decibels. That's a good range, a maximum range to stay in for your compression to compress it down from the top. Some compression or compressor limiter gates, either hardware or software, give you the option of attack and release or it will talk about the knee, a hard or soft knee. This is how quickly and what kind of curve will it use when it's increasing and decreasing the volume. The attack is how it approaches the audio. The release is how it finishes the audio, dissolves it. Now, if you are working with a hardware compressor, it's doing everything in real time, and so it may not be able to figure out what you're about to say. So it's how quickly can it catch up to what's going on and how quickly or slowly does it return to its normal settings after you stop saying things. Sometimes you'll even see something that is called the interactive knee, and that is where it changes how hard or soft it is depending on the level of audio that's coming into it. These are all options that you may have on your mixer or on your compressor limiter gate or in your software program that you can use to adjust how your audio is working. 
Now, let me get into the question that was sent in by Robert from the It's Just Us podcast. Robert says, hi, this is Robert from It's Just Us podcast. It's just us cast.com. I was absolutely enthralled with the episode about compressors. He's talking about episode five, where I talked about Chris's dynamic compressor and optimal settings for that. Here is my hot little big, I have in my hot little big hands, a two channel hardware compressor that I'd like to implement. I've been going back and forth between if I should use it or not. And that episode, episode five, only increased the difficulty in making the decision. I've known that Adobe has a software compressor in Audition, but I know nothing about it. So he tells me then what kind of software and hardware he has, and the hardware compressor he has is the Alesis 3630 Dual Channel Limiter with Gate, and he's using Adobe Audition 2.0. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably interested in using Audacity, or at least want my perspective on podcasting. There are benefits, advantages, and disadvantages to both sides. And just because there's a number that's higher on one side or the other does not mean you should choose that one that has more advantages. And this is certainly not a thorough list of advantages and disadvantages, but these are what I think are most important to podcasters, which I'm hoping is you or maybe you using Audacity to edit your music or just regular voiceover work, maybe not even podcasting, but you can use compression to sound much better. By the way, I forgot to mention that sometimes you'll see compression have just a single option. That is how much you're compressing it. That is taking it from an overall look of the top and the bottom and reducing the contrast between the two and everything that's in between them. And some mixers have that built in as just a single knob to compress it from the top and bottom at the same time, no extra settings. Let's talk about, first, some software compressors. What are some software compressors out there? Like I mentioned in episode five, there is Chris's Dynamic Compressor for Audacity. I love this compressor. He also has a standalone version. There's a way that you can get into the code and enable more advanced options, but it has some very simple options, just a few boxes and few numbers to enter in. He's done a good job of explaining it and making it extremely simple. That is an overall easy-to-use compressor. It's a dynamic compressor for Audacity or as a standalone if you're not using Audacity. On the super easy side of things, there's Levelator from conversationsnetwork.net, I believe. The link will be in the show notes over at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 11. Chris's dynamic compressor has some options. Levelator has no options whatsoever. And you may consider that to be a good thing because... You can't be confused by all of these options and settings. It has one button, and that's the button that exits the program. All you do is you export your audio in an uncompressed format, such as uncompressed wave, or you could export in AIFF, and you drag that onto Levelator, and it processes it for you. No options to configure. But then there's Chris's dynamic compressor that gives you some options. Then I would say next in complexity is a hardware compressor, such as what I have. I have a Behringer MDX 4600, and I really like this thing. I'll talk more about it in a little bit, why I like it so much. This has five knobs for each channel that I compress. I'll explain channels in a moment. And it has several buttons for each of them. Now, that can seem pretty complex, But it's not nearly as complex as a multi-band compressor. Adobe Audition is known for its multi-band compressor and its great presets within it. Yeah, that's great. But there's also a really good multi-band compressor for Audacity. But I'm going to show you. Look in the show notes over at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 11, and you will see that this particular compressor has so many knobs and sliders and 
all of this stuff. It uses all of those terms and then some that I mentioned at the beginning. Attack, release, the ratio, the threshold, the trigger, the gate, all of this stuff that it has within it. It's extremely advanced and that's the same for Adobe Audition's multiband compressor and also Sound Booth has a compressor. Adobe Sound Booth has a compressor built into it. There are these options that you can play with for every band, and that is the low sound, so your bassy sounds, your middle sounds, and your treble sounds, the higher pitched sounds. You can compress for each of those differently. So I could compress my bass much better so that whenever I'm talking, I my bass doesn't have as much of an, a volume range as the rest of my voice does. And it can give you some interesting effects and make give you that radio host sound. But I would caution you to not get overboard on it because personally, I get headaches when I listen to people who overcompress their audio, especially using the dynamic compressor or using a multiband compressor because they often bass boost their stuff way too much and I get a headache listening to it. I just much rather listen to their real voice as it really is. That's the difference in podcasting is we podcast with our real voice, not a fake voice or a production voice. This is our real voice. So let it be so. So you've got a range of software options there. And of course, on the hardware side, there are dozens, maybe hundreds of hardware solutions for audio compression. What are the advantages and disadvantages of each of them? Software advantages. First of all, in the case of Audacity, with Chris's dynamic compressor or Levelator or the C3 multiband compressor, which is that multiband compressor for Audacity and other free programs, that's the key word. Free. These compressors are free. You can often find these software compressors completely free. You don't have to spend any more money. Now, I recommend if you get a lot of value out of it and you really appreciate the tool, I recommend that you donate to the programmers of it. That way they can continue improving it and they're rewarded for their great work because you've gotten value out of it. But these things are completely free and that's a huge advantage with the software side of things. Software can also edit your recording after you have recorded so it won't destroy your audio you know why it's that magic button control or command z undo two greatest syllables in computing history undo when you are editing with a software compressor limiter gate you can undo your changes Or you can affect your audio and not destroy your audio to the point that you can't get it back. I definitely recommend you always keep an unprocessed version of your audio. That way, if you discover later that you messed up something, you can go back and fix it. That's happened to me. You remember at the beginning, I demonstrated the gate and how when I turned it up too high, it started cutting off my syllables and then eventually you couldn't hear me at all. I once recorded an episode of Are You Just Watching with... Eve. And also we had Chris Jones coming in through Skype. Eve and I sounded fine because we were in the studio and I had the great Heil PR40 mic. Eve had a cheaper mic at that time. But Chris was coming in through Skype. Skype does its own kind of compressing and limiting when it sends the audio out. But what would happen is that because of the setting I used, I entered some numbers wrong most of what Chris was saying was getting cut off the ends of her syllables. Or any time she would even just get a little bit quieter, she'd get cut off. And so people couldn't hear what she was saying. The advantage of the software compressor is I kept an unprocessed version of my audio so I could just go back in and recompress it with the the Chris's dynamic compressor plugin that I use with Audacity, and I've talked about that in episode five. Along the same lines of that, an advantage with the software is you can take the exact same audio portion, play it over and over with all sorts of different settings so you can find the setting that works for you, especially for the audio that you recorded in that episode. Because 
you might not always get by with the exact same setting in every episode. You might need to adjust things a little bit. Like maybe you have a co-host or a guest that comes on that tends to be a little bit louder or a little bit quieter or just has this huge dynamic range of audio from whispering to yelling at different times. So you need to compress the audio differently. You can play with that with the software way and you don't have to worry about, am I saying this the exact same way when I try speaking into the mic? You can play with it after the fact and it doesn't destroy your audio as long as you keep an unprocessed version. Additionally, software compressors can compress your audio from any source. And what I mean by that is you don't have to carry this hardware around with you, lug some giant piece of hardware around with you if you're going to compress your audio. You could record from your internal microphone. I don't recommend it. You could record from a studio microphone. You could record with a field microphone or a field recorder like a Zoom H4n or an Ederol R-09HR. Or you could even edit your sound clips. Frequently, when people call in with voicemail, I will run their voicemail through a quick compression because I don't normally compress the audio that plays through my computer. But I do want their voicemail to sound right, so I'll compress it with software, even though they don't have a hardware compressor. And I'm not going to run their message through a hardware compressor just to compress it. But I'll compress it ahead of time. That way, when I play it back, it's already in the right range for me. Software often has presets and recommendations and helps along the way that can make it a whole lot easier to edit your audio. That might have the radio boom preset, or it might have the, the very monotone preset, or whatever, different presets that you can set or just pick from that make it a whole lot easier to apply powerful settings without having to tweak every little detail. But then, of course, you can tweak the preset if you want. Another huge advantage, and this is the last advantage I'll share with software compressors, is they can be forward-looking. See, hardware cannot look into the future. Software can look ahead a couple seconds of what it has already recorded and see what is coming up in the audio and therefore adjust accordingly to prepare for what's coming up. So it can see that you're about to get really loud so it would appropriately adjust as you're getting louder instead of waiting until you're loud to adjust itself. It's a forward-looking, some of them are forward-looking compressors. This leads me to talking about the disadvantages of software compressors. Huge disadvantage is it's not in real time. You can only use the software compressors after you have recorded your audio. So it won't affect what you might be sending out live on the internet or others would be listening to or what you're hearing through your headphones. It's only affecting your audio after it has already been recorded. Using a software compressor means extra steps in your editing process. It could be entirely possible for you to record your podcast and have a file immediately after you've recorded. Like if you're using a digital recorder, I use a Zoom H4n. I can record two MP3s with this thing. So I could, if I wanted, I could record my audio and immediately have an mp3 file that's ready to tag and upload to the internet. No extra steps. But if I want to use a software compressor for that, then I have to open that in my editing program, which my choice is Audacity, but you could use whatever. Open it in that program, process it, and then resave it out. Along that way, you might lose audio quality. Because if you're recording an MP3, then you have to decompress it, decompress the file, then recompress the file in order to do your processing effects on it. In this case, we're talking about compression, limiting, and gate. So you are recompressing an already compressed MP3 file. That can reduce the audio quality. I always recommend that people record in uncompressed audio. That is WAV or AIFF 
formats. That way you have something that's recorded at the absolute max quality and you can go back to it and you don't have to worry about when you save it of losing your audio quality. Well, not for every time you save it, that is, because you're going back to the absolute of the highest quality. Using a software compressor also has the disadvantage of the extra processing time. Depending on how fast your computer is and what compressor you're using, it could take 5 to 20 minutes to process your audio. Now, that doesn't seem like much, but what if you're in a workflow where you're podcasting all day long, like my friend Cliff Ravenscraft over at gspn.tv, a great inspiration to my podcasting. What he does is every Thursday he records live and he has small breaks in between each episode. He used to do some of the recordings back to back and he would have just a few minutes between each episode. He does recompress. He compresses his audio again with Adobe Audition after he's recorded it and he uses a hardware compressor. So he's combining both worlds. But there is that extra step and the extra processing time. He can't release that episode until after he has processed it. Now, that may not be a problem for you, but it is a disadvantage. When you're using a software compressor, it is all or nothing. Most mixers send audio in stereo. Even these huge, like 24 channel mixers, like the Behringer Xenix X2442, has 24 channels on it. They're mixed down to two stereo, left and right. So that means that when you apply a software compressor, it applies it to everything or nothing. It applies it the same to each of your co hosts, all of your sound, or it won't apply it at all if you don't use it. So it's an all or nothing approach, which you may not like. I certainly didn't like it. When I was using Chris's dynamic compressor to use software compression on my audio, I would always record in four channels so I could separate my music from my vocals because I would want to run my vocals through audio compression I wouldn't want to run my music because it would mess up my fade-ins and fade-outs and make things sound a little bit harder. And sometimes you'd hear some little fluttering sounds in there as the gate was activating or deactivating. If I recorded everything just flat in two channels and I applied software to it, then it's going to apply that to everything. And I may end up with results that I don't like in certain sections. That may not be a problem for you. Then again, it could be a problem for you. Finally, if you're using a software compressor, your tools may change. A recent addition of Chris's dynamic compressor very much changed the tools. He simplified his compressor so that it would have fewer options and do some things a little bit more automatically for people. But there's a way that you can get into the code and switch it back to the advanced settings. You don't have to worry about that, though. But when you use a software compressor, what if you decide that you want to switch to Adobe Audition? Well, then you have to learn a different compressor, put in your settings again, or maybe you switch to SoundBooth or ProLogic, or or maybe you're switching to GarageBand. GarageBand doesn't really have a good compressor. But all of these different tools have different settings and different ways of going about things. So if you're using software, your workflow may change whenever you change your software. Now, let's talk about the hardware advantages. I have a Behringer MDX 4600. I'll have a link to that in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 11. If you purchase anything, by the way, through that link, I do get a little uh, affiliate fee from that. And I, I, I would appreciate it if you would do that. That just helps the show and helps us to grow the equipment in studio, and it's just a small amount. You don't have to pay anything extra. This hardware compressor is only $120 from Amazon. That's a fantastic price. Let me tell you the main reasons you as a podcaster or vocal recorder might want a hardware compressor and its advantages. First of all, a hardware compressor has channel isolation. 
I would call this the most important thing about it. Let's go back to that example of when I recorded a podcast with Eve, who is in studio but had a different mic than I did, and Eve's voice is very different than mine. Of course, she's a female, so that's one thing, but also she has a much more dynamic range of audio. I tend to do some of my own compression in that I will get closer to the microphone as I get quieter. That way I can make sure that you're hearing me. And if I get loud and want to yell, I'll lean away from the microphone. And I do this unconsciously. And it's a good thing. It's mic presence. I recommend that you learn how to do that with yourself. So like whenever you laugh, consider leaning away from the microphone. Some of my co-hosts don't do that. And that's okay. I try and help them with that and make up for that with the compressor. But also, when I'm bringing in someone through Skype, Skype tends to generate a lot of background noise while a person is speaking. So when I have my hardware compressor limiter gate, it isolates each channel and can compress each channel and apply all these processing effects independently. So here's where this is of advantage. I tend to not get quieter than a certain level often when I speak, but I can get louder at times as I get more excited. The compressor is set a certain way for me because I know what to expect with my own audio. Now that setting may not apply for Eve, and so I have things set a little bit differently for Eve's microphone. And then, especially for Chris, coming in through Skype or any of the people that I invite on as guests and they come in through Skype, Skype generates a lot of noise. That's where the gate really comes in handy, is that gate will open and close depending on if that person is speaking. So when they're speaking, the gate opens. When they're not speaking, the gate closes. On Skype, it generates a lot of noise, like I said. So if my co-host is coming in through Skype and is not speaking, but I'm speaking, having isolated channels will prevent that noise from being recorded when no other audio is coming in through that channel. It is isolating that channel and closing the gate on it, not on me. So my resulting recording doesn't have that background noise when it doesn't need to be there. Another great advantage with the channel isolation is that you can compress only what you want. Like I said, I don't like compressing my music because I want the ability to have fade-ins and fade-outs just the way I want them. And I adjust that as I'm going on in real time with the fader on my mixer. So you can have all of your voices being compressed in the noise gate and everything, but you could leave your sound effects and music to not be compressed at all, separating it so that you're only compressing what you need. And like I said, also, you get the individualized settings for each host. I mentioned that as the first thing that was an advantage with channel isolation. Another great advantage, and this is why many people will get hardware compressor limiter gates, is because it's real-time. It is processing my audio in real-time. So you know what that means? I don't need to process this after I've recorded it. It's processing it for me while I'm recording it. Now, I will confess something to you. I am re-recording this episode because the first time I recorded this episode, I was pretty tired after doing some other pre-recording episodes and I had bumped something on my compressor or I changed some settings somewhere so that By the time I first recorded this audio, it had those wrong settings within it because it recorded in. Now, that's actually a benefit because if you are applying all of the settings in real time, then it's being recorded and you don't have to process it afterward. A third kind of, well, the numbers are now, you might not be keeping track of the numbers. Another advantage with the fact that it is in real time is that if you podcast live over the internet, like with Ustream or, or Livestream or any service like that, this gives your live audience the advantage of hearing your compressed audio 
and not having to worry about volume levels and such because you are compressing it as you're sending it to them. So they are hearing a much better produced live show. They don't have to wait for the downloaded episode to get the better quality because that's when you edited your audio after you recorded. But you are processing your audio as you're recording. So anyone listening as you're recording is hearing the higher quality to it. Along the same lines, you hear what is happening as you are being compressed and you can hear how you sound as you are recording yourself. Of course, there are disadvantages to the hardware. A big disadvantage to the hardware is that it's expensive. You might not have a hundred and something dollars lying around to buy a new hardware compressor limiter gate because, well, maybe the software solution is just perfect for you because it's free. Well, the hardware solution is more expensive, but it might be worth it. I decided that it was worth it to me because it saved me the time that I didn't have to process my audio every time after I recorded it, unless I messed something up. But instead, I process it while I'm recording. But it comes at a price. There's also a hidden price in expenses. And this is another disadvantage, is that using a hardware compressor limiter gate may require you to upgrade other equipment. I originally had a Behringer 1204 USB. It does not have inserts on it. An insert looks like a Y cable. An insert cable does. Looks like a Y cable where it's stereo at one end and then two monos at the other end. Quarter inch jacks, that is. It looks like that, but that's not really what it's doing. It's not splitting the audio. It's one is sending the audio somewhere and the other is receiving that audio back. So on a mixer, if you plug in an insert cable, it sends the audio right after it's done the gain adjustment for the microphone or phantom power if you're using a condenser microphone. It sends the audio to something external and then re-inserts it back into the chain so that it continues on down the line. This is how you get the channel separation are with insert cables. But the mixer that I had, the 1204 USB, great mixer. I loved it. Nice, small and everything. But I realized when I bought my Behringer MDX 4600 four-channel compressor limiter gate that I couldn't use it with that mixer. My only option was to use the auxiliary sends and receives which is an all-or-nothing approach. It's everything that gets sent in that or nothing that gets sent in that. It wasn't the extreme channel isolation, so I couldn't take advantage of the four channels. So I decided to upgrade my mixer, and now I have a Behringer X1832. And I think it was worth it. I got some extra things with this mixer that were very beneficial and some things that I'd wish I had had when I got the first mixer. Now, this comes down to the concept of how much should you spend for things. I definitely recommend that you spend just a little bit more than the most you can afford. Here's why. This is what I liken it to. Imagine you want a 52-inch TV. But a 52-inch TV in this particular line that you want is $400 more than the 42-inch TV. So you decide to compromise and settle, and you get the 42-inch TV. How likely are you to ever buy that 52-inch TV unless your 42-inch dies? Well, you're not going to consider replacing what is really good with something that's even a little bit better because it's going to be a hassle to get rid of the 42-inch, then the 52-inch, and it's only 10 inches, and you'll start reasoning with yourself, and you'll reason yourself out of it. The same thing can happen with when you podcast is that you might spend $120 on a mixer instead of spending $170 on a mixer because you think, well, I don't have the extra $50, so I'm just going to settle for this lower end one. You'll never get that more expensive one. I wish I bought this nicer mixer in the beginning, but I had no idea 
that I was going to buy it. So either get the lowest that is available or get the best, just a little bit beyond. I'm not recommending debt, but I am recommending that you work a little bit harder and maybe skip a few cappuccinos so that you can spend a little bit extra to invest in better equipment as early as you can. And I don't think you'll regret it. Now, continuing on with disadvantages of a hardware compressor limiter gate is that it has different settings on it, all of these different settings, and depending on what kind of content you're feeding it, you might need to change all of these settings on the mixer and you have to listen very carefully. And it can be a hassle to adjust the settings just right with just live audio because live audio changes. People aren't always talking in the same volumes. You have to kind of listen very closely and watch the meters and such. It can be complicated to get it set up for different settings that of different content that you're providing through the compressor limiter gate. If you make a mistake, this is another disadvantage. That mistake gets baked into the recording. There's no getting it out. Like the weird settings I somehow messed up the other night, last night. That was baked into the recording and my only way of fixing that was either to cheat and use software, which in that case I could have used software, but I thought, I've been talking about using my hardware compressor and if I end up using software to fix it, well, then I'm kind of not being honest. So I decided to go ahead and re-record this. Sometimes you can fix this stuff with software, but sometimes you can't. If you have your mixer set wrong, like if you have that noise gate up too high, then when you record, it's recording it that messed up way. And you can't fix those mistakes unless you re-record. The final thing that I'll share, and these, like I said, this is an exhaustive list, isn't an exhaustive list, is that hardware compressors don't have presets and don't have little pop-ups that show you as you're pointing at a knob what that knob does. So you can't just click the awesome sound button or the preset, you have to adjust things on your own. And that could be a disadvantage. You could see it as a advantage. But these are some of the advantages and disadvantages I see in software versus hardware compressors. Now, which should you use? That is totally up to you. If you can't afford to get a hardware compressor limiter gate, don't use a software one. If you can afford a hardware one, that doesn't mean you have to get it. Maybe you should get a better microphone or a better mixer first because maybe you need a better mixer before you can use one of these. Some of these things, like some of the other lines of these compressors from Behringer, such as the MDX-1600 and the MDX-2600, include extra options that can be pretty cool that you can adjust the attack and release, or you can even use a de to help filter certain noises in your recordings. Yeah, that stuff can help you a lot and it can do some cool things, but you may not need it. It's really up to you to decide what you want. If you want a very fast, super optimal recording workflow from start to finish with very little post-processing, then I recommend that you get the hardware. If you're just learning, especially if you're just starting out and learning how to use a compressor, I say stick with the software until you learn how to use it. That way, when you switch to the hardware, you're not going to be completely confused and then end up recording all of these things with bad settings and not able to fix them unless you re-record. So I hope this has been a helpful discussion for you. And like I said, all of the links to the things I mentioned will be in the show notes at the audacitypodcast.com slash 11. Definitely check out the episode that I talked about Chris's dynamic compressor. That's over at the audacitypodcast.com slash the number five. And I have links to these other multiband compressors and hardware compressors and all of this in the show notes at slash 11 for you to be able to check out and click these things and purchase if you want or just check things out based on their specifications and try and make your own decision. Thank you very much, Robert, for sending in that question. 
Guys, go ahead and check out Robert's podcast. It's over at itsjustuscast.com. And I think you might enjoy it or you might enjoy hearing his voice and you can maybe give him your own tips on as he experiments with things. You can let him know, well, I like it when you do this, but I don't like it when you used whatever setting you were using there, whatever. But thank you very much, Robert, for sending in that question. If any of you have questions that you want to send in, first of all, of all, please note I'm getting married soon. So I'm going to be gone for a while. What you're about to hear in different episodes that come out each week are pre-recorded and they are scheduled because I'm not going to be podcasting from my honeymoon, no matter what it sounds like in the ramen noodle where I claim to be, but I'm really not. And I make that obvious in there. But I won't get your voicemails and your emails for a while, but that doesn't mean don't send them. I'd love to come back to a whole list of things and have a new plan for what episodes to communicate with, to share with you. And coming up, we've got some great things we're going to be talking about. We're moving noise in Adobe, in, not Adobe, in Audacity. I'll be talking about what happens if you're recording without passion, organization, or dialogue. You're missing one of the letters there. And I will also be talking about an interview. Or I'll be having an interview with Fred Castaneda from the Struggling Entrepreneur podcast. And we've also got another conversation we had about podcasting courtesy and a couple optimal settings, a summary of optimal settings and audacity. Some great stuff coming up for you that's going to be pre-recorded and pre-scheduled to post while I'm gone. But in the meantime, you can still send in your feedback to feedback at noodle.mx. You can send in an audio file with that, especially, and then I'll play that in here. And feel free to mention your own podcast or website if you want, or Twitter or whatever. Just don't get like spammy on it. You can also call in to 859-353-4332. Remember to follow me on twitter.com slash the ramen noodle and check out all of the other podcasts. Well, both of the other podcasts on the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go out and podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. And that's what podcasting is all about. And it helps you to podcast successfully that way. This has been the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel Lewis, and you will hear from me soon. And I hope to hear from you soon after I get back from Honeymoon. Thanks for listening.